Hey, we're delighted you're able to spend some time with us this afternoon on the ADR show. It is uh, the 5th of uh, October, and uh, it's Chin in Ottawa 97.9, available at ChinRadioOttawa.com. That's our newly revised website, by the way, Ernie. It's, uh, you gotta, you got to check it out. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, it really uh, Francesco nice. did a great job. He and uh, we got some uh, spectacular guests on the phone with us today. And uh, Yeah, you know they say, it's been often said, that a change is as good as a rest. Yes, it's, it's, <laughs> is that true? Well, we're going to find out, aren't we, uh, yeah. with our two guests, one from Toronto, uh, Lorraine Joint. Uh, welcome uh, to the show, Lorraine. Thank you, and good afternoon to everyone. And Kirk Sivert, I hope I pronounced your name right. I, uh, Kirk's calling us from Halifax. Hi, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty good, Ernie. That's not bad. Okay, well, listen, let me just introduce our guests so we can get to this amazing topic. It's, uh, the title is, Do You Really Want to Change? Learning About Change Management here on the Alternative Dispute Resolution Show. On show number 243, but who's counting? Uh, let me say quickly, Lorraine Joint, uh, 30 years in social services. Um, she's a change management specialist. We're going to hear more about her. And uh, Kirk Servert is a seasoned executive and international speaker and lots of interesting background, and we're going to hear uh, about this topic. Um, I just want to start out by saying uh, my wife, Yum, has made it very clear to me that the views of the husband in our house is not those of the management. So I, <laughs> I hope maybe we can change that. <laughs> but let me start, uh, as I usually do, Lorraine. Um, I like to say the background of the show, Lorraine Joint, I with the Alternative Dispute Resolution Institute of Ontario, an editor of the newsletter, and I've had the privilege of working with her on some articles and going to be doing other things. And Lorraine is the one that introduced me to this. Uh, to Kirk and to the subject. So, Lorraine, maybe I could start with you about your personal and professional background and how you got committed to this uh, subject matter. Well, Ernie, as you said, I'm with the um, ADRIO of Ontario. I'm on the board there. But um, before I ever got there, what I was doing is I was um, chairperson of of an organization known as Dermorm Water Aquatics Program, and with this program, I inherited it from someone, and it had just started. There was no governance procedures or anything in, involved. There were some simple bylaws, and I. But the boards were the board was extremely, extremely enthusiastic. They really wanted to do something, so I wanted to do something for them. But to do that, I had to find a way to change a lot of things. And so going through on the Internet and through the library, I found this book called ADCAR. And basically it's the premise of awareness, desire, and knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. And it was a book by Jeff Hyatt, and he's from the ProSci um, Research. Is that right, Kirk? ProSci yes, Research? Yes, uh, ProSci Research. And it's an amazing book. And it showed me how to change so that I could change the board and get them somewhere, and we did some really, really neat stuff. And so as I was getting more into the process, I noticed that they had a call for papers for their first conference, which was held last April, and I submitted a paper, and lo and behold, it was accepted, um, and it was put on their conference papers. I went down to the conference, and that's where I met Kirk and Jeff and a number of other really amazing people. And the one thing I want to say about this conference is I've been to conferences before, and we all know conferences. We all sit there and we listen. It's probably one of the first conferences in many years where I sat in rapt attention listening to these very positive people. And everybody was positive, and everybody was enthusiastic 
Um, I attended all the sessions, which you know usually don't do during a conference. You know, it was in Florida. There was a lovely swimming pool right there, and I went to this conference. Became very very enthusiastic, and then I had the opportunity to go to the training with Kirk, who is one of the most amazing trainers I've ever met. He's enthusiastic. He knows his subject area well, and. As I was listening more and more to it, um, as I work as a mediator, I was listening, and I thought, this is so something mediators can use so much. Um, it just fits in perfectly with all our thoughts on conflict resolution. And so when I came back, you and I were talking, Ernie, because you were doing an uh, article for the newsletter, and I was talking to you about this. And I think I was just back from the conference, so I was yes. very enthusiastic at that point. And I explained it to you, and I, I guess some of my enthusiasm rubbed off it, on you because you were excited about the topic as well. And as I talked to more mediators about it, um, they're becoming, you know, very, very well-versed in it, and they really like the topic. And I think it's something we, we as mediators and conflict resolution specialists can really apply um, to and put in our conflict resolution toolbox. Well, that's wonderful, and uh, you know, great minds think alike. And Phil Sutton Defer, I was just going to say it's great for the toolkit. That was the voice of Lorraine Joint. Uh, her website is www.aplaceformediation.ca. And just before I pass it on to Kirk, Lorraine, what is uh, Three Pillar Alliance that you're involved in? Okay, Three Pillar Alliance, um, and I'm really going to promote this right now. And actually, my I just changed my um, email to this uh, um, as uh, joint at threepillar.com. And this has been an amazing opportunity. Um, I'm now working with Blaine Donay, Burned Weller, and Trevor Smith. And what we've done is we've integrated a process of conflict, process, and change management so we can offer effective solutions for transforming workplaces that are struggling with conflict and performance issues into highly productive, healthy, and competitive work environments. Um, so this is just one example of how as in Burned, um, Blaine and Trevor are all um, in conflict resolution, and they we've come up with this process so we can just you know give workplace environments a leading edge. Well, thank you, Lorraine Joint, for getting us off to a positive note, and I am going to enthusiastically now bring in uh, Kirk Sever. Uh, He's uh, got a couple of websites we'll mention. One is. Uh, um, adpro, A-D-P-R-O dot C-A, and another is change-management.com. So, Kirk Sivert, maybe you can give us your background and how you got committed to this uh, this project. And maybe for listeners now listening in, a sort of a big-picture philosophy or history of the notion or concept of change management and what Prosci, what uh, Lorraine referred to, Prosci, what does that mean? Maybe we'll step back and listen to you do a kind of a overview for us after you introduce yourself. Sure. Thanks, Ernie. Um, you know, my background is uh, as a former business executive. I was the vice president of marketing and strategy for uh, a large national insurance company, and we were going through lots of changes over the years: uh, many acquisitions, restructuring, taking new products to the marketplace, new systems, and um, change became something I was very interested in. So, about uh, 2003, I decided to set out on my own, and I was uh, doing some work for an organization that was undergoing a lot of change, so I just Googled change management and discovered this research organization in Colorado. Called them up and uh, ended up going down and spending the better part of a week reviewing some of the research. And 
uh, lo and behold, as we neared the end of the week, the, the president, Jeff Hyatt, who Lorraine referred to, asked me if I might be interested in uh, uh, doing a little bit of work with the firm. So I was uh, so impressed with the materials I had seen, I said, uh, well, sure, let's talk about that. The, um, the opportunity actually didn't come around for a number of months, <clears throat> but I eventually uh, got involved and uh, spent, oh, the next five years, uh, doing change management certification work, so teaching the program and sharing the research um, globally. Uh, have done the work in uh, Africa, Europe, the Caribbean, all over the United States. And um, late last year, got talking with Jeff and said, "You know, I'd I'd like to do a lot more in the Canadian market." And so uh, we agreed that I would set up a Canadian organization, which we've called AdPro, mm. and I'm the uh, exclusive. Canadian uh, primary affiliate for ProSize methodology in the Canadian market now. So that's what brought me uh, into uh, the ProSci organization and uh, uh, the ProSci methodology into the Canadian market. Well, thank you, uh, Kirk uh, Sivero. Here we are on Chin Radio, 97.9 FM, heard worldwide over the Internet on chinradio.com in conversation with uh, Lorraine Joint and Kirk Sivero on uh, a question, do you really want to change learning about change management. Now, Kirk, if I can ask you to build a bit on uh, uh, ProSci, well, I was talking this morning about what that acronym stands for and what is where did the um, name AdPro come come from too. And, um, and Lorraine has already mentioned generally about ADR and conflict resolution. We're going to get into that more after the break. And tomorrow we're going to get into details of your training. But maybe, Kirk, I can ask you to explain or describe more about the, uh, the meaning of these terms and from what... Uh, Lorraine said, how did you find this fits into the conflict resolution field? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I'll say that uh, ProSci stands for professional science. It's those two words jammed together. And the organization was founded by Jeff Hyatt, who was uh, an engineer with Bell Labs many years ago. And Jeff would get very excited about some new project he was working on and uh, the change that uh, it would bring about for the organization. And his great frustration was, when the implementation wasn't as successful as the, the plan. So he started to do some research to figure out why, and one of the things he discovered is that people's ability to adapt to new way of doing things, uh, using new tools, following new methods, uh, behaving in different manners, was really what held back the success of many of these large projects, these changes that they were attempting to make. So. Many years ago, he got involved with the, uh, the research side, and then he applied his kind of engineering approach to things, wanting to devise a structured approach and to build a set of tools so that anybody could be more successful in managing change. That's where the organization came from. And the heart and soul of it all is something called ADCAR that Lorraine mentioned. And the ProSci ADCAR model is a great model and a tool, really, for um, enabling change on a very personal level within organizations and, indeed, even, even throughout society. And it is this uh, ADCAR model that uh, I found particularly attractive. It's very simple. It's very easy to use. But at the same time, it's extremely powerful. And um, that's, I think, the attraction that brings so many people to it. And that's why I think Lorraine has... Uh, picked it up and said, you know, it would be great in terms of alternative dispute resolution because it's often about changing, changing the way somebody sees something or perhaps changing 
the culture within an organization or having people accept changes that need to be made in society. And it's as simple as, you know, building the awareness, giving people the desire, the knowledge, ensuring they have the ability, and that the changes are reinforced. Well, thank you, Kirk. And just before we go to break, uh, Lorraine, um, I'd like to go back to you and uh, maybe you can re describe what the acronym ADCAR stands for. I love acronyms. I always say ADR really means a dignified resolution. It sounds like you're doing that for the community. But can you repeat what that acronym stands for, Lorraine? And then um, when you're finished, I'm going to ask you both a question to think about. When you come back after the break, we'll discuss it. Lorraine? Well, as Kirk was saying, aware the ADCAR stands for the awareness of the need for change. D is for the desire to participate and support the change. A is the knowledge and how to change. A is for the ability to implement the required skills and behaviors. And R is for the reinforcement to sustain the change. It's a great um, way to look at change, and it really helps. Okay, that's great. Uh, one, one thing I want to look at, um, and here's going to be my question. I remember when I started in ADR in the 80s, I got exposed for the first time in some of the conferences in the States on people in these long-term like projects for two years, and I was really fascinated to see they needed uh, facilitators for that, so they're going through a change. So I'm wondering, one of, one of the things is how this um, change management fits into that history. The other thing that is always uh, profoundly interesting to me is, you know, fear of change. You know, there's paralysis by analysis. After all is said and done, much is said is, and little is done. And I'm wondering if you can reflect on uh, the fact that how do you overcome with these projects the very basis of maybe whether it's psychological, intellectual, spiritual, emotional, the fear of change. How do people overcome that um, when they start entering into this field? So I'm going to leave that question with you. You've got a full 90 seconds to think about it. That's much more time than you both need given your expertise and very impressive beginning to the show. So join us listeners. Come back and listen to Kirk Sievert and Lorraine joined on Do You Really Want to Change? Learning About Change Management. Time for another Tin Radio traffic update. Well, according to Ottawa Police, no sign of any serious problems at all on any of our city streets. However, you will find a closure of the Mackenzie King Bridge between Nicholas and Elgin for the next six weeks. That's all due to construction. According to the OP no troubles at all on the 417 as well as the 416. Shoppers Drug Mart's Tree of Life helps support women's health charities in your community. From now until October 16th, donate a loony at your local store and show your support. I'm Atel Sperling, and that's the latest traffic on Chin 97.9. Chin Radio and Carleton University in cooperation with the National Arts Center present this year's World Music Showcase. Join us Thursday, October 22nd at the NAC's fourth stage for Music Car and Adam Duncan. Tickets are available at the NAC box office and through Ticketmaster. And keep listening for details about our annual songwriting competition with $5,000 in prize money. Don't miss Music Car and Adam Duncan, Thursday, October 22nd, at the National Arts Center's fourth stage, the World Music Showcase from Carleton University and Chin 97.9. Time now for an updated weather forecast from Chin Radio. Geez, I wonder if we can get uh, Prime Minister Harper to participate in our song competition next spring. He did a great job at the NAC on uh, Saturday night, didn't he? If I sing out of tune. Anyway, I can't do it. (laughs) It's 11 degrees in the capital. 14 is uh, expected as the high for this afternoon. 
And we'll probably get a few showers early overnight tonight. It'll clear out for us. And then guess what? Tomorrow is going to be a great day. Lots of sunshine with highs of 13 or 14 degrees. Currently, it's 11. It's uh, coming up on 1248. And you're listening to the ADR program with Ernie Tannis and our very special guests from Halifax and Toronto, respectively. I hear a rumor that if, you know, if Balsilli ever got that NHL franchise in Hamilton, Toronto wanted one, too. Oh, <laughs> Well, that'll keep though our guests busy, eh? That's terrible. I didn't mean that, Lorraine. I'm only kidding, okay? No, it's okay. It's <laughs> okay. Well, listen, it's uh, you're talking about a great day. It's a great day as we carry on our conversation. So, you know, when we were preparing for the show, and I love doing that, it, it just struck me now as you both were talking about awareness of change and everything is the question of fear of change. So can I just pass on to, you know, either of you maybe uh, uh, to discuss when you start from that basic how do you address the notion of fear of change before people even want to get into the change itself? Sure. Can I take a stab at that one, Ernie? Sure, please. Okay. Um, I, I think the, the fears that people have are largely connected to the uncertainty of what lies beyond the change. There was some great research done in the late 40s, early 50s by Kurt Lewin, and he said there's really three states of change. There's the way things are today, which I often call the current state, and the way things will be at some point in the future, the future state. But to pass from where we are to what we hope to be at some point in the future, we've got to go through this transition state where there's a lot of uncertainty and discomfort. And I think that for most people, the fear they have is because they don't have full knowledge of what that future state holds for them. And so we're, we're hesitant to jump out of the, the current state that feels so comfortable all the time. Okay, that's a neat little um, um, way of putting it in context. Lorraine, did you want to... Yes, say? and if I could just elaborate on that, and I think one of the things that when we're, we're looking at change, we always look at it, the what's in it for me, mm-hmm. and we like to take, a, you know, what's this change going to do for me? And one of the things that if you we look at the PROSI um, training, they also... Um, really emphasize that um, when we do a change, we need very good strategic and effective leadership, mm. and whether that comes from, you know, depending on the change, whether it comes from the CEO or it comes from your direct supervisor, but it's the transparency of the change that we need to know about. And even in our personal lives, we need to look at that, like it's the transparency of the change that we need to really, really take a look at. And as we, you know, know what the change is and how to work with it, it becomes less and less of um, a fear for us. And we always have to consider that. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned is make sure that that change is very transparent mm. and everyone that's concerned with it um, knows about it. Well, thank you. You know, one thing, uh, again, you've both inspired me to think of something else here. I was involved in an intervention years ago, and they were talking about what's in it for me, incentive. And I thought, of, well, what's in me for it, which I called motivation. And... I'm going to ask you, in terms of change, you got the individuals in an institution, and then everyone's be part of a like a community, whether it's a family or an organization, a government, public sector, boards of directors, as you say, big corporations. How do you, um, I mean, you filter things out with some things are transparent, people have different agendas, some of them are destabilizing. How do you connect that personal kind of motivation of what's in me for it to the incentive and what's in it for me? It's a different way of asking maybe the question, but it's something that struck me in terms of maybe relevant to this topic. Uh, does that bring any ideas to your mind, Kirk? Well, 
I guess I uh, relate most things back to the uh, the prosciatkar model that we've been talking about, and you know it begins with uh, creating an awareness, uh, helping people to be aware of the need for change and what's what's driving this requirement that we make changes. That's true whether it's at the organizational or a personal level or even a society level. Then we start to talk about things like what are the consequences of not changing and helping mm. people to get a fuller understanding. And this starts to, um, to, to build at their desire a little bit. And then, of course, we need to build an awareness of, of um, how they're going to be impacted by the change. And, you know, then once there's a solid awareness, you start, you know, thinking about desire and in that, we're dealing with some of the, you know, what's in it for me and so forth. But to relate it back specifically to uh, what's in me for it, I think people have to have uh, a very strong awareness around the consequences of not changing. And I think that sort of rallies people more to the cause, knowing that if we don't do it, perhaps nobody will. And this is something that very much needs to get done. Well, you know, that's interesting, Kirk. That makes me think, Lorraine, of a kind of a bridge with the uh, conflict resolution field, because sometimes I ask people if they don't like what's going on, they say, well, if not here, then where? If not now, then when? If not this, then what? What's your alternative? You know, the BATNA, mm-hmm. you know, for listeners, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement or WATNA, the worst. But what, Lorraine, is, is there something in that kind of, you know, like, I like that phrase that Kirk used, uh, you know, what are the consequences of not changing? That is really a kind of a awakening kind of question. Do you see the bridge there with the work that you do in mediation? Yes, very much so. If, you know, and it's very much relating back to your bot. Now, if we don't change, what happens? Um, so we're in a mediation. If we don't start negotiating and start looking at something from somebody else's point of view, um, what's going to happen? You know, are we going to end up in a very expensive court trial? Um, you you know, all those different types of things. Are we going to keep going back and forth? And then people become polarized. Um, we don't. We aren't able to see the relationships. So there's all those different things that we have to consider um, when we're doing mediations and as conflict resolution specialists. Is our you know, and our biggest thing is to get people to change. And by using the you know this mantra of you know, if it's not what's what's in me for it, um, you know. What can I do to make the other person see my point of view, and what can I do for myself to get to so that I can change, so that I can start accepting their point of view as well? Well, you know, if you so when you get into um, like an organization, I'm going to ask you know both of you again. Like um, I have this th- view of, uh, from experience too. Like I call it the exit expel theory. Some people are going to say, "Oh my goodness, we're going to have to do this change." I'm going to be asked to leave or someone's going to be asked to leave. And maybe that's a kind of fear people have. Like some, somebody calls it like a swamp sometimes. When you go into change management, and maybe I'll ask you, Kirkwood, do you, is that a realistic uh, fear or consequence of when there's change management, it's going to sort of uh, expose or make transparent where the obstacles or other agendas are that aren't fitting the needs of the community? Um, well, let's see. I hope I can address this one correctly. Uh, Ernie, uh, the, the idea, and what we know from best practice research, is you want to engage people in the process as much as you can. And the research tells us uh, to be communicating as early as possible and to ensure that you're building high levels of trust and uh, openness within an organization. Mm-hmm. These are very complex issues that we're dealing with, and it's going to take more than just a few people at the top of the organization or a few people hidden in the back room somewhere to decide what we're going to do, and how we're going to do this. So uh, we're hoping that individuals, 
groups will start working together um, because we all have a vested interest in the success of many of these changes at, at whatever level we happen to be making them. And so I think getting out early and often is an important aspect of that. Well, thank you, Kirk. You know, the word trust, that was the, the first show almost five years ago was on trust. And, uh, Lorraine, I'm wondering if I can, you know, build on that word. It sort of fits into my question a bit. How do people trust the process? I mean, how, I guess there's the credibility of the organizations and individuals, but we got a couple minutes left to uh, complete this um, part one. And tomorrow in part two, we're going to get into the details of the training. And I trust our listeners will return. But how does the how would you say how trust fits into people accepting outside people coming in and do change? Um, that's a really good question, Ernie, and that's probably one of the biggest thing, over hurdles that you have to overcome. And again, I think we have to go back very much into the ADCAR and how change management works. And, you know, besides having your credibility in the field, but it's, you know, making sure that, you know, the very, very, very principles of uh, change management are followed so that your first thing to do is establish the relationship with the person who's your effective or strategic leadership person, uh, the one that's going to help, you know, introduce the change into the organization. And also I'm going to go back. It's being that transparent person and making sure that you make relationships not only with the senior management or the people at the top or in the community um, or with government, but also with the people that are going to be affected by the change. So you have to be that, you know, visible within the organization and, you know, working with people at all levels. So, you know, and not just the people that, you know, the senior management says, well, you know, talk to these people. So we're for a union situation that we're also talking with the union so they understand. And that's how you build up your credibility. And I think, you know, when looking at the research and what Kirk is, you know, what I learned in Kirk's, training is that's very important to make sure that you're transparent at all levels. Well, thank you, Lorraine. We have about a minute, Kirk. Did you want to add to that? And also, yeah, I'm glad you uh, introduced the word relationship, which is really what it's about. Kirk, do you want to comment on the uh, concept of trust? Um, what, just to say that I think it's a, you know, a, an important foundational element in change. When we're trying to move people through what I've termed the uh, transition phase, there is so much uncertainty, and there are many unanswered questions. And uh, part of what we're trying to help people to do with change management is to spend a lot of time up front preparing for these changes so that we can come out with uh, sufficient information to help people understand exactly what we're trying to do, uh, how they may be impacted by whatever it is. And this is a model we can apply to any sort of a change. I'm speaking very generically, but so they'll understand how they're going to be impacted and what's to take place next. And quite often, uh, we're wanting to involve people in the process, have them start to, to feed back based on their experience and knowledge, uh, how these changes are going to play out in ways that we can even improve the implementation. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, uh, we're trying to answer some questions here. I thank you both, uh, Kirk and uh, Lorraine, for your expertise and actually your humility, too. So tune in tomorrow. Remember, uh, yesterday's a history, tomorrow's a mystery, today's a gift. That's why they call it the present. And be present with us tomorrow, part two, on Do You Really Want to Change? Learning about change management with Kirk Sievert and Lorraine Joint. Listening to Chin Radio in Ottawa 97.9, as already mentioned, uh, part two of this program uh, to be heard tomorrow at 12.30.
at 97.9. Coming up directly following the news and sports, it's the Arabic program here on Chin.